Hi and welcome to this fireside chat organized by Toom and Ross Republic. My name is Adrian. I'm partner at the consultancy Ross Republic. And we have recently teamed up with Toom to create a new white paper called uh, It's Time to Build, Making the Right Technology Choices to Enable True Business Transformation in Banking. In the paper, we invite you to discover the most important market shifts happening right now in banking and fintech, the key technologies driving the industry forward, emerging business models, as well as what to look out for when choosing a co-banking solution. Um, the white paper has just been released, so I really recommend you to check it out um, on Toom's website and blog, that's toomplatform.com. Um, and the fireside chat today is all about the second part of the white paper. Um, it's about technological changes happening in the financial services industry, as well as the new business models that uh, these technologies enable. Um, so let me first introduce our guests. We're really happy that Christian Loma from Autopia Music has joined us today. Christian, how are you doing? Hello, hello. Doing very good. Thank you for, for the invite. Awesome, awesome. So Christian is currently the Chief Strategy Officer at Utopia Music. Um, it's a Swiss-based technology company that leverages big data in order to enhance uh, the global music industry through increased revenues, uh, reduced costs, accelerated payment cycles, and improved insights. Before that, Christian was the head of OP Labs at OP Financial, which is the biggest financial group uh, serving over 4 million customers in Finland. Uh, so Christian, again, thanks that you uh, take the time and join our session today. Um, I checked on LinkedIn, you mentioned that you build innovations, stories, strategies, and products to improve life. Um, so I would be really interested to hear from you um, shortly in your own words um, uh, about your own background, uh, as well as what Utopia Music is offering. Um, that would be quite interesting to hear from you. Thank you, Adrian. Um, you know, would be happy to. I've, I've spent my 20 years in technology, product, innovation, strategy. Um, as you mentioned, the last um, 10 years or so, I've been uh, in finance industry. And uh, it, it's been an exciting journey. Like the technology has been transforming a lot of the uh, experiences. And um, even though the technology has existed for a bunch of years uh, that we consider new and novel in, in finance, um, it still sort of is the massive driving force behind creating new sorts of experiences at the, the very front end of, of customer experiences. And, and during my time in OP Labs, uh, we, we got to build 60 different business opportunities and, and experiment them with real customers. Out of them, roughly 10 graduated and emerged to be something that the mothership uses uh, still to date. Um, I believe uh, during that journey, we won about 20 different awards, filed uh, roughly 10 different patents. We collaborated with over 2,500 startups around the world. We ran an innovation lab network across the Europe we were able to engage in, in a number of conversations around new technologies, whether that's cloud or AI or yeah. distributed ledger technologies and so forth. So it was really a high school for understanding what's next in, in the finance industry. Awesome. That would be amazing uh, to tap into your knowledge now in this session. Um, and the second guest, as you can also see, obviously, on the screen is Rivo Ibo. He is the co-founder and chief business officer at Toom. So, Rivo, would you also quickly um, shortly describe your own background and what Toom is offering as well? Hi, everyone, and thanks, Adrian and Christian, for uh, co-hosting this uh, show. And yes, I'm Rivo. I'm one of the co-founders and uh, overall head of business at Toom. And uh, like, if you ask what Toom is, Toom is an API first, next generation core banking infrastructure. That means that if you want to uh, launch anything in retail or business banking services out there, we are the core infrastructure enabling you to do so. And uh, as we love to say that it is very easy to build uh, something complex, but it is very complex to build something easy to use and elegant. And uh, this is uh, what we are super proud of and what we think we have uh, nailed uh, very well with Toom. Making those complex capabilities uh, li like uh, and which are offered in a very uh, seamless manner. And, pro and professionally, I have been in the complex B2B uh, technology space all my life, basically like operating across the globe. So happy yeah. to be part of this chat. Yeah, that's great. I think in this circle, we now have a perfect combination of various backgrounds um, that are perfect for talking about new technologies plus the new business models that they enable. Um, so let's basically jump right into one of our main topics, which are um, specifically the um, like technological change in banking um, and how they have a lasting effect on how banking services are delivered. 
um, because in the paper, we basically talk about um, new technologies that power growth innovation. We call it like the three fundamentals. So we have picked like three very, very important technological changes um, that any fintech or bank should really um, look into closely. Um, one of the main messages is also uh, in our paper that in order to achieve a growth trajectory, uh, the financial services uh, providers should really have the right tech foundation in place. And why is that? Because uh, technology enables innovation, speed and new business models. So understanding how these new technologies can really support your growth goals is a really important uh, success factor. We have also thrown in quite a lot of studies in the paper um, that have also shown that the right investments or, or the investments in the right digital technologies actually can yield measurable uh, improvements when it comes to revenue growth and also uh, cost uh, improvements. So that's why we also predicted in the coming years Banks, fintechs will more and more compete also on their technology architecture. Um, that's why obviously the winners, especially after the COVID crisis, are now really building and operating uh, the most competitive tech stack. Um, and now while most banks have already modernized some of the applications, data, surrounding architecture and so on, um, many still rely on the, I would say, same old systems that have powered their operations for quite a while now. Um, just as another example of one really interesting uh, data point that we have uh, cited in a paper was from a study that basically analyzed banking IT spend between 2016 and 19, uh, which was around $1 trillion, which went into IT systems, um, which did not really um, um, yield any revenue growth or new revenue growth for these banks, uh, which is also one of the main messages there in the paper that it's increasingly important to not only look at tech for the new technology's sake, but also to really couple technology with new business models, uh, which they enable um, in order to achieve the best return on investment on these uh, new technologies. Um, so just round it off, obviously tech debt is constraining a bank's ability to grow. Um, that's why in the paper we have basically highlighted these three uh, fundamental technological developments, which I will share in a second, but before that, um, I would be really interested to hear from both of you how you perceive uh, the current technological landscape, just as a general question to jump into the topic right now, um, based on your experiences, what's the role right now of technology um, to stay competitive in the banking industry? Maybe Rivo, if you want to take that first one. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would say that it is really like a super interesting moment uh, uh, currently out there. If you look large established uh, banks or regulated entities, they have started with all the transformation efforts and digitalization efforts. But those have like uh, mainly and mostly touching really the kind of a front end or customer and user experience side of the things. When you go like beneath to the uh, core infrastructure, this uh, remains still untouched, like in most areas. So which means that this is a market which will see like a significant change uh, and shift like in the upcoming years. Then at the same time, there are like number of front runners, especially also in the DeFi space. So it's going to be super interesting to see uh, how far it's possible to push the tech out there. And then thirdly, uh, there are a number of those new brands and uh, let's say non-banks or non-regulated entities, also like Christian from Utopia here today, who are like really making the push, uh, like solving some, let's say, voids in the market and at the same time leveraging uh, the most cutting edge tech because why should like one uh, build a new business uh, on the legacy tech if you do something uh, new do it also like uh, in a way that you leverage the best of breed stuff out there so i would say that it's really by far the most interesting times out there even besides the fact that every single research and consulting firm, I think has said every three or five years since already like late eighties, uh, mid nineties, that now it's the time to modernize <laughs> the tech. But yeah, like if you look like all of those macro trends beneath, then uh, super interesting times. Christian, handing over to you. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I fully agree. Uh, and again, as I mentioned before, I, I feel like these technologies, even though that the consultants are highlighting them as new trends and coming up with different terms like like they should, um, they've been around for quite some time. The, the real opportunity that technology drives, uh, in my opinion, is access to services that were beyond um, access before. And that's really why companies like ours, Utopia Music, have a chance of helping the entire industry with uh, financial services embedded 
within the service offering that we provide for royalty allocation management and, and distribution and, and so forth, because it's accessible. It is no longer uh, a privilege for the banks to operate financial infrastructure. You don't no longer require, I mean, a lot of banks obviously still have thousands and thousands of engineering employed and will continue to have, but it's not a, a prerequisite for being able to operate and run financial services. So to me, yeah. that's really the real promise of where this cloud um, microservices, infrastructure, automation, where it has taken us. Yeah, uh, and and you can find parallels and anal analogies for every from every single other industry um, how technology has become more accessible and anybody can embed financial services as part of their core processes, just like we've done. Yeah, fully agree. But how, how did you actually uh, manage the whole technology landscaping at the OP lab? Was it part of your um, responsibility sure. there as well? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a thing called um, Technology Innovation Roadmap, which we regularly updated together with the leadership team and, the, and, and was basically owned by the CTO. Okay. And, and the thesis there was that uh, we basically broke down the operations down to different value streams. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did an exercise, which I love, love to call the infinite technology game. Uh, it's basically a, a sort of a mind exercise that if technology wouldn't be an obstacle, how would different value streams work? And right. you, usually you end up into a discussion where you understand that really the value of technology is making things faster, cheaper, more accessible, easier to use. That's that's always the case. Like that should be the north star where, in every single value stream, whether that's that's lending or, you know, managing accounts or, or opening accounts or whatever. Like those are the drivers for using technology, making it faster, easier, cheaper, yep. more accessible. And and as we did that roadmap, we were able to lay out different technologies as they emerge, whether that's like quantum computing or distributed ledger. And, and make, make an analysis of like how would they, in a specific value stream uh, that we operate, increase our chances of, of reaching that infinite technology state. Yeah. And and based on that roadmap, it, it was relatively easy to explore, pick and choose, and and you kind of came into the same conclusion that you're outlining in the white paper, that unless we're able to manage a certain set of layers, whether that's regulation or account management or lending as a service, yeah. um, you know, anybody that is willing to entertain a chance of operating a competitive pricing scheme or profit margin for operations is going to be screwed unless they focus on, on those mm -hmm. chances that are accessible and available. Uh, available. So really that's, that's what, what's going on in, in my opinion, in technology landscape, it is not about the the, the sort of well-hyped distribution ledger technology. It yeah. is about how do you realize that opportunity of making it accessible or cheaper to operate. Fully agree. No, that's really interesting. And I also um, feel, your, feel your point um, around. Yeah, uh, and, and if, if okay. I may still still add on, on that, like Please. When, I, when I say operations, I, I think one of the most painful things that I, I saw during my career in finance is that whenever you want to change a parameter of an existing product offering, that's when you get into a mess of like different integration points and touch points needing to be addressed yeah. uh, in, in a different way that adds, adds operative costs to existing products than just running the cloud-based service. And that's really where, when you think about the future architecture of financial infrastructure, you, you need to realize that it's it's not just the, the, the cloud cost of running the service. Uh, I mean, it should be. Yeah. Uh, but in addition, you have cost of operation when it comes to integration and maintaining the integration between the endpoints. So like like it was discussed in the introduction, I think that's really what the, the architects within finance need to pay attention to today. That's a really good point. And, and, and Christian, I think it's also like interesting to highlight that I think the stuff that you do now uh, at Utopia Music, uh, it's also super good that you have this uh, long time experience from the hardcore banking industry, which also means that uh, you do not uh, take certain topics too lightly or let's say in a naive way, but rather uh, those decisions and ways forward have a serious ground. 
So that mm-hmm. I think there is much more bone, uh, sorry, much more meat on the bone <laughs> than many other, let's say, newcomers in this industry might have otherwise. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and it, it is a competitive advantage. We have a bunch of like fintech backgrounded people here, and it's only fair. Like we call ourselves a fintech platform within music. All right, amazing. Uh, yeah, just just to. Uh, uh, Kind of uh, go back to that point around um, hyping up technological cha- technological change. I fully agree. Like a your point, it's some, probably something that never stops, right? You're not done with digital transformation. Like there's not an end point to towards that. Um, however, t- just like one one point around that, um, which we'll come back later as well. Um, there is uh, like increasing um, evidence that after a crisis, especially the next years after, uh, um, for example, now after the COVID-19 crisis, are extremely important for value creation. Um, so that has been seen also in the last uh, financial crisis, for example, the banks that have really rebuilt their systems and built up new revenue streams, they have been the ones that have been creating the most value in the industry over the next decade. Um, so that's why we have also put in that message that now is the time to build and to really rethink um, how you're operating and so on, because it's, it's also a critical time at the moment, actually. Um, and yeah, I would say, let's quickly go through the three fundamentals, like the three technologies that we have outlined in the paper, just. Uh, to cover them as well, of course, we have them very extensively explained in the white paper. So if anyone is interested to go deeper, then I would definitely recommend to check that out. Um, but um, the first one is the cloud. Um, Christian already mentioned it's the, the many you know uh, technologies that now kind of uh, decrease the barrier of entry into into the um, into the banking system. So that's why we have outlined basically cloud technologies, which which allow uh, banks and fintechs to launch new products and services way faster than before. It kind of really unlocks therefore new innovation opportunities, um, and uh, it allows basically cloud consumers to uh, to benefit from economies of scale. Because before that, you had really kind of large capex investments into your own infrastructure, data centers server parks and so on. And now you can basically enter the game by teaming up with the well-known providers like AWS, Google Cloud and so on. Um, They give you the cloud infrastructure, they maintain it, they run it. Um, They're basically designed for scalability. Um, So while they do the heavy lifting, you as a fintech or bank can then really focus your development efforts on the value adding customer centric activities instead of, um, you know, thinking about infrastructure too much. Um, and beyond that, most uh, you know banks, fintechs that we've seen that leverage cloud computing have also better organizational agility and the kind of shorter time to markets of new propositions. So that's how we basically summarize it in the paper that cloud technology um, can, if you use it the right way, um, there are some you know pitfalls and uh, some other considerations that are really important, which we outline in the paper. But overall, it allows you to um, basically create and scale your digital services and products at much faster speeds. And um, that's a really compelling, actually, um, a competitive advantage in this whole banking environment right now. So uh, anything that um, maybe also Rivo again that you would like to add to cloud technologies and how they have um, enabled banks to to you know become faster, increase the speed um, in their operations. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the topics uh, which is not mentioned quite often, but what the cloud provides to every institution, let it be large regulated bank or let it be uh, a newcomer uh, or the utopia uh, type of uh, company out there, is the self-reliance, which means that uh, those cloud environments offer you already like all the tool sets and toolkits uh, like to do the stuff on your own. There are like different SDKs uh, and, and ways of uh, which you can leverage and to really uh, like set up the stuff operate the stack and uh, launch super rapidly, which means that uh, it also contributes to the like overall aspects of like product management. You have a hypothesis, you want to rapidly test it out. If it works, then you like scale and so forth. So that uh, really the, let's say, uh, leveraging the aspects of cloud, uh, it increases your self-reliance and uh, that means faster time to market and also uh, many more ways how to scale your business. And also, I definitely think that the second key element is that the future is like uh, also concerning uh, the usage of multi-cloud environments. I think there won't be, let's say, just one type of a provider that uh, somebody needs to select that I go only with AWS, I go only with Google Cloud or whatsoever, because uh, that is the third derivation. And that is that that, uh, the future is all about the mashup of services. You plug and play different capabilities uh, from different vendors. And uh, quite often nowadays, all the new players are offering their capabilities like in a cloud native format. Yep. So many good ways out there. 
That's a great point. If if I may add a controversial point uh, to the mix, uh, now now not officially being employed by a bank, I, I I can sort of like obviously not discuss about the details. But cloud was a hot hot potato um, five years ago, six years ago. Uh, when whenever I met uh, with my colleagues in in different uh, innovation labs around the Europe, it, it was discussed as one of the the fastest emerging things uh, to come into the boardrooms uh, as a topic. Um, and not always in a positive light. Like, uh, let's face it, whenever something new happens, we, we humans are uh, sort of scared about the consequences of, of that. And especially security concerns were highlighted time and time again. Now, that being said, when when I I stopped the the, the position in the bank officially, and you know, obviously still working in fintech context, the the narrative had changed 180 degrees okay. um, and, and the consensus around the industry was that uh, cloud is going to be an Im important improvement step for the security as well which is obviously as we all understand vital and, and fundamental for, for all the banks when it comes to operations and the rationale as the experts were, were giving the explanation was that uh, in our own developed infrastructure um, there are layers of years and years of experience, which is sometimes beneficial, but when it comes to operation and, and making sure that like nothing leaks and, and uh, you know, no security holes remains, that is very, very, very challenging um, talent to, to keep up to date um, and expensive. So you could argue, and, and this was made as a statement that cloud infrastructure will be in the long term more secure to, to maintain, as the, the software stack and the, the cloud stack becomes more, more more normalized and standardized. So I think that's an additional benefit that usually doesn't get enough recognition because of the stigma of the past. Yeah. But but cloud can be safe and, and fast to, to execute. And I absolutely like to add on top of Christian's, Christian's point, then if you look at the uh, size of the R&D budget that uh, any single major cloud uh, vendor has, then all the tools set and data points, uh, which they can use to like develop the like algorithms for different like intrusion uh, prevention and so forth, <laughs> like this set of resources, this is like way beyond any single uh, institution's yeah. uh, capabilities. That means that uh, I think this kind of a message now has really started to sp spread and the understanding has, has come along. And also like we need to say, let's say a few good words of, like to the regulators that also they have, let's say, started to obtain this information and, uh, and share it with others. Because if the regulators don't understand they don't, then they don't know what, what to regulate and what kind of protection to provide. So that uh, it's a kind of a multifaceted uh, thing out there. But uh, completely uh, agree with Christian so that uh, uh, sometimes those things, let's say, stay on the background. But those are like absolutely critical points because yeah. like uh, it's impossible to uh, like uh, underestimate the value of security scale and scalability out there whenever something concerns the wealth or health. Absolutely. I think the stigma is already disappearing as well because you, you see actually more and more really large scale global banks um, entering, uh, let's say, in, in large partnerships with the well-known cloud providers as well. So I think from that perspective, um, the, there has been a mindset, mindset shift as far as I can see as well. Absolutely. Um, then I would say let's uh, continue with like the two other uh, big technological uh, changes that we have been uh, outlining in the white paper. And I would say, let's summarize that one because um, otherwise we will be, I think we could talk about the whole technologies uh, quite a while. Um, and after that, we then continue with the new business models. Um, but the two other really important ones that we have um, highlighted in the paper are microservices and application programming interfaces, APIs. Um, as we, yeah, we already mentioned also microservices. So that's, um, um, I think a very important technology to mention here because in the past you had usually very monolithical IT ar architectures. Um, I think the term like spaghetti bowl is often dropped when talking about like incumbent uh, technology architectures. So they have been kind of bulky intertwined um, collection of systems uh, and architectures. And I think usually like I would say you need to respect that as well because that's just how um, many banks have been building up their systems at a time where you just had to develop a lot of stuff in-house and through acquisitions and geographical um, expansion, of course, that adds up to, to your stack. 
Um, but now, uh, on, in contrast to, to that, I think microservices are an amazing uh, technology because they basically consist of like smaller, loosely coupled modules um, that can cover specific functionalities. They have be become really popular, especially across um, mail banks and digital first banks that have been building on microservices. Um, and it's because the underlying architecture has proven to be super resilient and secure, easier to maintain. Um, one reason for that is, for example, if one microservice fails, uh, um, then it can be easily isolated and fixed um, while the whole system still can keep running. Um, and also I think due to like the autonom autonomous nature of these microservices, it kind of also actively empowers teams inside banks to build new stuff and to adopt, uh, adopt and build new solutions on their own. Um, so yeah, I think that's why microservices is extremely important to mention. Um, and the second one with APIs, I would say that it's a whole topic of its own. It's um, it's more an enabler of it's more a means to a larger end, right? Um, as with most technologies, but internally they really allow to, uh, teams to share data and make them available to other teams, which which is um, in the white paper we call it in intercompany and intracompany um, ecosystems that you can build up by using APIs. Um, it's been a topic that has been popping up also due to new regulations like open banking um, uh, that uh, put APIs really front and center. Um, and also, I think what's in that context really, really important to mention is that when you open up as an organization and use APIs um, as like a, a standard uh, exchange of data with other organizations, that can really boost um, a whole new ecosystem to 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 emerge. Um, and that's why we talk about uh, that quite a lot in the white paper as well. That um, they also allow any brand nowadays to integrate financial data, but also financial capabilities into their own propositions, which is now hyped up under the term um, embedded finance. Um, but it will definitely have an impact on how financial services are distributed. Um, so yeah, I would be really interested to hear also from your side, based on you know microservices and APIs. Is there anything um, that you would like like to add um, for our audience to um, understand better why these technologies are quite quite impactful in the financial services industry? Well, I, I guess my perspective to that, like what I referred to earlier, is that um, it's no longer about just the capex or the, the cloud infrastructure opex. Um, Cost and the, the fundamental element uh, which we need to, to to be able to to manage is the cost of integrations between different products and, and the time to market when building the products and and that's really where these these two things are coming to play in in a meaningful way. Microservices, uh, as amazing as it is, uh, is also very very difficult. So it takes years and years of practice to. To get it down down to an art where the infrastructure makes sense, it's it's kind of a different mindset. But once you have that, um, it can be a huge accelerant to the way we deploy products, way we try out new propositions, and and that's really where the value comes from. So the cost of creating something new, cost of changing something that is being operated, and and that as as was outlined will be an unfair competitive advantage for. Yep. companies that are, are seeking to be technology first in, in banking. Mm -hmm. And maybe to, let's say, highlight few few thoughts from uh, Tom's uh, side, that, that first and foremost, uh, APIs are the way how the value gets delivered. So that uh, if, for example, uh, Christian and the team at Utopia does something, they think in terms of the like uh, customer journeys in a seamless end-to-end -end format. Like uh, if I would be an artist, I wouldn't want to operate in like three, four different types of, of environments. I want to be on a one consistent, seamless customer journey. If it includes like uh, any of the financial services capabilities, then on our end at Tomb, it's our responsibility to open up those kind of capabilities. So that uh, APIs, they are basically the enablers uh, for a kind of a seamless service offering out there. Yep. Then the second key aspect, what concerns the APIs and what we are very proud of uh, at Tomb is that we are already born as API first, which means that if you look many other players out there, they have built something monolithic and then they see that there is a demand for APIs on the market and then they try to complement the monolith with the APIs, whereas it's completely different where when you look at uh, our offering out there, we have understood that you need to be also like developer friendly who consumes those APIs, which means that uh, everything is designed already to be 
API first. So and and that is let's say significantly different approach. And of course, all the good stuff that comes along with the, like uh, uh, like releasing things and uh, all the versioning capabilities and and, and so on. So a lot of uh, let's say good aspects that uh, that many businesses uh, can benefit from. Yeah. Fully agree. What do you think is like the main reason why there are some, of course, that's a really tricky question because every banking player is different, but do you think there are some some um, patterns that you see why some banks um, are not really able to adopt new technologies and leverage them the right way versus, you know, uh, that still struggle with tech debt versus others that have been making the jump into new technologies? Tristan, you mentioned like mindset, uh, is it a board mindset thing? Is it more budget and structure thing? Is it, um, um, yeah, what, what do you think? Are there some patterns or is it just really individual per, per bank? Yeah, I, I guess I guess it has a lot, of, lot to do with the fact that like um, for all the right reasons in finance industry, you don't really mess around. Like you, you don't take risks that are unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, the, the industries are fairly well established and aesthetic uh, and, and basically how you make make profit is by changing as, as little things as you can. Um, it kind of reminds me of the joke of um, the the old sort of like uh, car driving with square square tires and, and not having time to change into a wrong one because like it takes time. So it, it is understandable that people who are under high pressure uh, are focused on the next quarter results uh, fairly often want to take those uh, those chances uh, uh, which may pay off like two three years after the investment um, uh, I, I don't think that you know is the case at the moment like I, I think the the return on investment is much shorter in, in a lot of the cloud technology related investments right now but like just not having the data points just not having the expertise um, potentially, the the IT people have been around for years and years, and they have built the previous two generations of the banking stack. So those things all add up. It does require a bit of a spirit, or, or did require a bit of a spirit of like researching and adventures uh, with the new technology ten years ago. But right now, I, I don't think anybody has a, a good rationale not to invest in microservices, APIs, and and cloud technology within banking. It, it is a must do if you want to, to secure the profits in the future quarters. Mm -hmm. Are there like specific reasons or like patterns that you see of customers that deploy to them? Um, specific triggers that now um, kind of, uh, you know, uh, influence them to really utilize new technologies? Do you, uh, do you think that there are some specific um, yeah, patterns that you can share? I think there is uh, one interesting element, and this definitely concerns also like chasing the new cash on the market and trying to find like the new uh, revenue streams and, and growth patterns. That means that uh, like even up to very recently, uh, what the banks built was mainly for their own internal use to like, uh, let's say, some sort of capability uh, like uh, to be used by the let's say uh, let's say e-banking applications or like any of the like uh, internal back office tools or whatsoever so not now what we see as a common trend uh, of customers uh, utilizing tombs core banking infrastructure is that uh, such kind of a microservice and api first offering enables those accounts to also operate in multiple modes at for, first and foremost, of course, consume those capabilities uh, for their own good, but secondly, also to expose themselves to different ecosystems and offer and monetize those capabilities to other like third party uh, providers out there. And I think this is a significant uh, change. And also like this touches very <laughs> closely today's like embedded banking uh, uh, topics out there. Because if you can't really expose those capabilities to other like actors out there, then no good use. So I think that uh, this is just basically the beginning of the story. And if you look down the line also more into the DeFi and Web3 type of environments, where basically we could look those kind of environments as like business communication networks, then the first prerequisite is that you have to be able to expose uh, your capabilities to every single uh, actor in a meaningful, secure and scalable, scalable way. Yeah, fully agree. 
I think that's that's really interesting and also right uh, a good uh, transition to um, the second part of this uh, um, session, which is the new business models that these new technologies enable. I already mentioned it before. I think it's really important that tech is not just seen for the technology's sake, but also really in a, in the light of the new new business models and new revenue streams that you can gain by utilizing these new technologies. Um, so that's why we have also included this one uh, section in the white paper, which is called the future is embedded new business models in the area of embedded banking. Um, and just based on um, what Revo has just been saying around their um, kind of cutting edge work in co-banking technologies and also the, the project work that we've done with fintechs and banks that was in public, we basically ideated for um, typical uh, business, uh, yeah, business models that will probably emerge and are already emerging in, in the banking industry. Um, these really range from aggregators, orchestrators, digital banks, as, as well as platforms, um, which we go in, which we explain in detail in the paper as well. Um, I would quickly explain two of them, which I find very interesting, and then I would like to hear your opinion on what, what do you think, how this whole landscape will evolve, and what business models you find most interesting. Um, the first one would be aggregators, um, which we've seen popping up from, for example, the likes of Revolut or Apple, so brands that um, either come from the financial services industry or from the outside, from big tech, for example, that have a huge, have built up a huge brand equity, so people know them quite well. Um, they also trust them in most cases, uh, and these aggregators really focus on the customer experiences and developing um, and owning the end client relationships. Um, and that's um, yeah what, what, what we've been seeing as like companies that are really focusing on on getting a lot of customers in specific segments and verticals, um, focusing on the customer experience and then tailoring their services as kind of really integrated solutions for, for their specific uh, customers. For example, in Apple's uh, um, case, it would be the Apple Card in partnership with Goldman Sachs. Um, so these are like brands that um, yeah, more and more also move into the banking industry um, that have not been there before and kind of open up this whole new competitive landscape. And the second one would be platforms. So I already mentioned also um, Goldman Sachs. They have developed their own banking as a service unit, for example, and opened up their, as Rigo mentioned, capabilities to third parties as well, like Apple. So, um, and these platforms, uh, I would also I place Toom in that bucket as well, um, because they provide the infrastructure, the banking functionalities, um, in some cases, even the balance sheet and regulatory licensing um, as a service that for, for others. So um, I think these are like players that have been popping up as well in different markets in Europe. Um, what do you think are like changes in banking business models? Uh, I think there are now platform business models where you rent out and expose your capabilities and data to others. There are business models where you really just focus on owning the customer relationship and adding third party services to make it more tailored for your customer groups. Um, are there specific um, um, uh, business models that you find most interesting that are currently emerging in the industry? Christian? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. Those are those are really the right categories to make make based on the platform platform theory. I, I don't think we've really seen the the first beginning of of the platform revolution within finance, but we will surely see that. And I really the the case examples that you're pointing out there are already giving the breadcrumbs, but we will be seeing much more um, versatile service offering as part of uh, of the different endpoints that we consume as our banking main banking propositions being uh, completed by by different vendors being serviced through through the same portfolio. So that's definitely a key trend. So you can't really uh, no longer say that like you have years and years of product development and and so many products, and that'll give you a competitive advantage because you know these new new entrants will be able to compile the same equivalent um, level service offering with much more less work involved. Um, yeah. So you know that's definitely a trend. The other thing that I, I think might be slightly missing there is that like the way I see embedded financing as well, really changing the landscape, and it is grounded on those fundamentals that you outline in the paper is that we will see reduction of effort required from the customers to consume a financial service. Yep. Um, if, if there's any power on the on the face of earth that is, is strongest when it comes to, comes to customer behavior, it, it is that the fact that people are lazy. Yep. Like we don't want to click. We don't want to, to go from one service to another. And, and that's really what embedded finance at, at its best means to me, that like the service providers who are deep in in a vertical deep in an industry 
are able to, to pull in those financial services components and create a much, much more fluid, fluid uh, experience for, for the purpose that the, the, their customers are using the service for. And, that, and that's really obviously yep. near and dear for our heart. What we are doing with financial services, for instance, is that we're, we're making sure that the uh, artists are getting paid faster based on uh, um, accelerating the, the royalty payouts. Mm-hmm. And and the way we are doing it is is textbook uh, embedded finance. Uh, yep. We are enabling um, the distributors to to have access to to, to financial products right there where, where the customer interaction happens. So you don't have to take uh, uh, income statements or or proof of payments to another place to a bank like you had to uh, in the before digital age. Uh, but you're able to do it in one flow and. That's the value add, like the, the fluidity of one flow, playing to the, the sort of lazy nature of people. Like if we can do it simpler, we humans tend to want to do that. And that's that's a powerful business model change where there will be new stakeholders earning a slice of that revenue. Um, the, the vertical experiences providing the, the access to, to the service will be earning a cut from the financial services, but uh, on the other hand, there will be platforms underneath that will be aggregating a lot of customer interaction through that yep. and will be able to reduce their customer acquisition costs dramatically. So it'll be a fundamental shift for them as well. And if you want to remain isolated island and you don't want to integrate within the customer interactions, you will be missing out on this opportunity. I'm sure Rivo has his own opinion as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I tend to agree with Christian. Uh, like in like most most of the aspects, and also you yeah, have to highlight uh, like uh, my my thinking is that uh, uh, two key aspects that uh, if you look at the business models, then uh, definitely uh, let's say uh, emerging brands are taking a far bigger cut and like uh, embedding financial services like into their main offering, and uh, secondly uh, the second business model will be like the infrastructure play because uh, you need still somebody to do the heavy lifting. And like, uh, but it's not anymore the isolated island as, as, as Christian like uh, highly, highly pointed out. But and when combining these two aspects, they are clearly seeing the trend that the boundaries between distinct industries are blurring. And why? This is because uh, people and businesses, they have aspirations. You don't want to, let's say, do banking. You, let's, if you're an artist, you really want to uh, get your fair uh, pay much sooner than, let's say, in a regular fashion. Like if you're a householder and your aspiration is a green home, you don't want to think in terms of the like uh, uh, getting the solar panels and speaking with the bank to get the financing for those. You have aspiration to have a green home uh, and uh, to get the benefits of the solar power. So that this is like really, really uh, taking, uh, let's say, the step towards fulfilling the aspirations and making things uh, accessible in a very seamless manner in one one pass, basically, as, as Kristen explained. Yeah, no, for the agree. Maybe let's make that a little bit more tangible, what we also mean with aggregator. Um, um, for example, I've been recently supporting a uh, um, bookkeeping software as a service tool, which has been super successful and got a lot of customers. Um, however, they also felt pressure in, in, in their own competitive software category that they need to provide better services to their small business customers that, you, that do the bookkeeping with their system. So they have been thinking about um, integrating financial services as well, just to provide like one integrated service where you go for your bookkeeping and you have your banking already attached in there as well. So um, let's say a business current account, um, expense cards, um, even business loans that uh, can be uh, can use the accounting real-time accounting data for better underwriting. So there are massive, massive opportunities for these kind of aggregators, as we call them, that already have a lot of customers on their platform, um, but they still need to go to their, um, let's say, isolated bank or log into the online banking just to do a payment, for example. So why wouldn't you want to do that in the interface you already use on a daily basis? I think that's a no-brainer for most, uh, for many, many brands that have in B2C and uh, B2B um, that have already a lot of customers to really integrate these financial services, get therefore also new revenue streams. Um, and this uh, bookkeeping tool then, of course, turned to a platform 
um, that then delivered these, these services um, for them because um, obviously they, they didn't want to have or they also don't have the regulatory expertise and so on and they don't need to because they can use these platform players to actually help them out with integrating the services and I think that that is really really interesting and it has massive implications on, um, I would say, one part in the financial industry where you have the manufacturing, the balance sheet providers, the regulated entities, which are still extremely important. Um, and it is, I think, also a monetizable asset to be a regulated entity and to provide the balance sheet as the basic infrastructure. But then on the other hand, you probably have um, the distributing parties, like the focus on origination, um, a focus on the customer experience. And I think there you, it's interesting to see the split in, in terms of embedded finance players versus the platform players. Um, and, and you both have already beautifully described how this whole landscape can emerge where you have users that are lazy. They expect financial services just to be integrated nowadays. Um, like I think this typical example is when you just leave the Uber car, you have paid already, so you don't need to think about that payment anymore. I think that's the ultimate goal that you don't need to really think about uh, financial services specifically. Absolutely. And uh, that example that you outlined uh, sounds like something that me and Ribo were working on and uh, got <laughs> awarded for um, the, the yeah. best loan product in Europe. I, I can't remember the year, but it was like four or five years ago when we slapped it onto a leading accounting platform in, yep. in Nordics. Exactly. And I think these these type of services you see more and more happening right now. So that, you know, these companies waking up that there might be really cool opportunities in actually embedding financial services more, more tailored for their customer groups. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, just to wrap it off, like that's how we basically see the, the landscape evolving as well, that you have like the users in the center, you know, high expectations, but still lazy. So you, you want to give them the right uh, tool, uh, financial tool in the right context. Many, many brands around these users fighting for users and, you know, fighting for attention and so on, which now is not only, let's say, a local bank competing against another local bank, but it's really all the banks um, fighting for users against, um, and then you also have uh, big tech companies, you have fintechs, you have specialized um, uh, financial players, you have um, software players uh, and so on that are all now trying to integrate these financial services, uh, tailor them for the user base. That's like the, the third element that we see here. Um, and then outside as like the key pillars that still hold the whole system together, we see the license holders and the balance sheet providers um, that provide the necessary infrastructure for, for to make all of this happen. Um, so that's why um, I think this is this will be really interesting to see how it will play out, especially after the COVID crisis, which has already been a big wake up call for many banks to really look at their systems, if they're you know resilient in a crisis, um, and now also going after the crisis to go forward and really check what technologies you can use to build new business models. Um, as we mentioned, uh, cloud microservices APIs um, would be um, uh, is, is almost a no brainer to have these in your roadmap nowadays. Um, and my last question to both of you would be um, more long-term one. Um, now we have talked about these new technologies and emerging business models, but how do you think will the financial services landscape really look like long-term, let's say in, in 10 years, like in uh, 2031? Uh, maybe also Christian, from your perspective, how will artists be paid in, in 10 years and how will that um, industry has, have evolved by then? Yeah, I, I think those two are, are strongly related. So what we're fighting for is fair pay for every play. And, and the most dramatic problem at the moment in the music industry is the severe lack in payment delays. There's other other problems also related to allocation of royalties, but mm. that that is our focus. So by then, uh, the artists will be paid um, just like the rest of us on, on a monthly basis regularly, and they will have a great deal of flexibility when it comes to their earnings unlike today they, they may have to wait for two years even three years for some cases to get their uh, revenue back but on a broader strokes I, I feel like in in the banking landscape what will facilitate us completing our mission and what will impact other industries as well is that like consumers will have a greater degree of choices when it comes to you know accessing the services that they need in the touch points that they use every day as we outlined so the concept yep. of embedded finance will be happening and as that will happen it will naturally limit the the choice of providers um nobody wants to see a nascar wall when they go to the accounting platform they they might want to see some recommended options um but they will naturally gravitate towards the the sort of trusted brands made available through the experiences and my gut feeling is that as that happens the concept of local will will change fundamentally so the the, the generation two one or two generations ago we chose the, the banking provider 
based on the trust that we would have based on the local business proximity and knowing the the, the chief of the bank yeah. in, in the future those limitations will be you know who's accessible in the service that i already trust and use and um, yeah i think we will see a lot of consolidation happening when it comes to the providers all right Yes, and I, I also uh, tend to believe uh, that a lot of consolidation will happen. And uh, I would love to throw, let's say, few key trends also like uh, taking place, which will basically define also the way uh, that, let's say, financial services are going to be offered in the future. Because we really need to admit that currently the great wealth transfer from our parents to the younger generation is going to take place. That's crazy. And also, like, I mean, all the amount of like real estate and uh, company shares and so forth, which are quite often like illiquid assets. So definitely the emergence of like uh, secondary markets uh, make it uh, and, and increase liquidity on the market. Then also definitely the creator and artist economy, where also like Kristen and, and Utopia are operating like uh, greater influence and many more tools and services uh, around for those guys. How to like basically uh, register the entity, how to have the account or a wallet, how to have those advanced pays and also how to get the royalties uh, and so on. So a lot to like uh, look out there for. And of course, like younger generations out there with the like experience economy, where you really want to basically maybe consider money as something, let's say something small, something like atomic unit, uh, which is also like a flowing element and you have a constant access to. Uh, and, and of course, like all the financial inclusion aspects. So that I think, I think those, those elements are all going to thrive, uh, let's say, the way how the financial services are going to offer in the future. Yeah. But the key aspect is that they have to solve some specific issue out there. And uh, as cool technology is, technology always will be the answer or enabler to those uh, topics out there. Yep. So that you can build the greatest tech, but if it doesn't have, a, let's say, real life purpose or a meaning, then there will be no use of it. And uh, we'll be super happy to follow also that uh, what you guys do out there at Trust Republic uh, want to see also uh, how Utopia does revolutionize uh, the fair pay uh, part out there. So I think there is, let's say, many great things to keep the eyes uh, open what will happen. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so from my side, then uh, that's uh, really an amazing roundup actually of, 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 of the you know matters and issues uh, and topics that we have covered in the session. So um, I would like to thank you both, Rivo and, and Christian, for participating and taking the time um, uh, to, to yeah participate in our uh, second session. Um, to the audience, I would say if you're interested in the topics that we just uh, talked about, um, and if you want to dive deeper, uh, get to know more about them, um, have a look at tombplatform.com where you can then uh, download our latest white paper. Um, yeah, and Rivo and Christian, thanks a lot and have a nice day. Thank you so much, Christian and Adrian. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye.